Well, good morning. Morning on this Pentecost Sunday. Uh, Pentecost is that day in the Christian calendar when Christians around the world remember Jesus pouring out the gift of the Holy Spirit on his church. And the Spirit came as flames of fire, which is why the the color of Pentecost is um, red, which I always wear red on Pentecost Sunday. So I'm wearing my red shirt today. Um, And Pentecost is especially significant for me because I was ordained as a pastor on a Pentecost Sunday. Um, And so this year marks my 32nd year as an ordained pastor. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking you must have started when you're 12 because you can't be that old. And on this Pentecost Sunday, we are starting our new summer series through the New Testament book of 1 Peter. And we're calling this series Forged in the Furnace. The the main theme of 1 Peter is how God uses the problems that we inevitably go through in our lives to strengthen our faith as the people of God. And one of the primary word pictures that 1 Peter uses to describe this strengthening process that we go through is like forging or refining metal in a fire. And so we're going to be forged through the fire of affliction throughout this life. And today, as we start our series, we're going to see Peter answer three crucial questions. Who are we? Where are we going? And how do we get there? From the first nine verses. So if you're able, would you stand for the reading of God's Word from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. This is the Word of the Lord for us today. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ... To God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. 
The beginning of this letter, in verses 1 and 2, Peter begins by answering the question of who we are. On the one hand, we are God's elect who have been chosen by God. But on the other hand, we are exiles who are scattered. We are elect exiles. The word elect comes from the Bible's description of ancient Israel. Again and again, throughout the Old Testament in the Bible, God says that he elected Israel to be his special people. And here, Peter uses the exact same language used of Israel in the Old Testament to talk about the church, to talk about us as followers of Jesus, that we are elected as well. And to say that we are elect, that we're chosen, means that God is the one who initiated his relationship with us, reaching out to us and choosing us to be a part of the people of God. God's election of us is not based on our worthiness or our potential or our achievements. It's an act of pure and undeserved grace. And this grace is evident in verse 2, as Peter describes how each member of the Trinity, of the triune God, was involved in our election. In eternity past, God the Father chose us to be part of his people according to his foreknowledge. God knew all about you. He saw you and he understood you even before you were conceived. From eternity past, God chose you to be a part of his people, loving you, knowing you, wanting you for his own. And yet we experience God's election in time and space through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. When we become Christians, followers of Jesus, it's because the Holy Spirit is the one who's drawn us to Jesus. Now that, of course, doesn't mean we have no say in the matter. We're not an AI program or a puppet. We have to respond with faith, but the sanctifying work of God's Spirit is the one who draws us to Jesus and enables us to have that faith. And then the purpose of our election is for obedience to God's Son, Jesus. God didn't elect us because we were obedient to Jesus. God elected us in order that we might obey Jesus. We are elected for the purpose of obedience. As followers of Jesus, we are God's elect, chosen people by God. But Peter also says in these two verses that we are exiles who are scattered. The Greek word for exile in verse 1 refers to a visiting foreigner, a temporary resident who lives away from their homeland for a period of time in a foreign country. Peter will use this exact same word again in chapter 2 to, to reinforce his point that God's people are exiles. Now, this would have made Peter's readers immediately think of ancient Israel's 70-year exile in ancient Babylon. When the people of Israel lived as exiles in Babylon, away from their homeland, they had to figure out how to survive in a foreign society that embraced pagan values and was dominated by pagan institutions and engaged in pagan practices. 
In Babylon, Israel had to navigate ideas and ideologies and practices that were often at odds with their faith and threatened to compromise their identity as the people of God. They had to find ways to worship God without a temple, ways to have a family without a homeland, ways to exercise agency without having any formal power. And Peter reinforces this idea of exile in verse 1 with the word scattered. The people he writes to were scattered. And the, the word that he uses there is the word diaspora. It's actually a technical word for when a group of people is taken out of their homeland and scattered into a different land. Even though some of the people Peter was writing to had probably been born in the cities he lists in verse 1, now that they follow Jesus, now that they're part of the people of God, they too live as exiles, scattered in their own native land. Who are we? Well, on the one hand, we are chosen people who belong to God and God's purposes. We're God's elect. As followers of Jesus, we are as much part of God's covenant people as ancient Israel was in the Old Testament. Now, some people have struggled with the Bible's teaching about election because it sounds like God is playing favorites. We wonder if God chooses some people, does that mean he rejects other people? And we tend to picture God's election when the Bible mentions it like the NFL draft, as if God is like seeking people with potential that he's eventually going to elect when it's time to be on his team. And that kind of thinking can lead us down a theological rabbit hole. In the Bible, election is never about God playing favorites. In fact, often election is about God choosing some for the sake of others. Because the Bible is clear that God does not show favoritism. And that God loves everyone equally. In fact, in the Bible, election is often focused on God's people as a community rather than on individuals. In other words, election is less like saying God chose this person but not that person. And election is more like God saying God chose this community. And all who enter this community through faith are welcome in that community. We are God's elect as followers of Jesus. We belong to God and God's purposes. But that's only half of Peter's answer to the question of who we are. Because we are also scattered exiles who do not belong to our world as it currently exists. We are exiles. Being chosen by God sounds great. Being exiles, not so much. But no matter where we live as followers of Jesus, we live as exiles. Israel's exile in ancient Babylon is Peter's primary vision of what it's like to live the Christian life as exiles in Babylon. In fact, sometimes the Bible uses the word Babylon, which was originally an ancient city in modern-day Iraq, it uses the, the word Babylon as a symbol for the whole world as it currently exists in rebellion towards God and ignorance of God's ways. And Peter does this later on in his letter. When we get to chapter 5 of 1 Peter, Peter will say in 1 Peter 5.13, she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends her greetings. 
Now, we know that Peter was not in literal Babylon when he wrote that, because when he wrote this, Babylon was abandoned as a city. Most Bible scholars believe that Peter is talking about the city of Rome in chapter 5, verse 13. Babylon has become a symbol for every city, every society, every culture, every nation as it currently exists, alienated from God and ignorant of God's ways. You see, no matter where God's people live today, they live as exiles, scattered in their own Babylon. Whether they're living in England or Estonia, Canada or China, Iceland or Iraq, Belize or Brazil, they are living in Babylon. And we here in the United States, as followers of Jesus, live in Babylon as well. If we follow Jesus, if we are part of God's covenant people, we are elect exiles scattered in Babylon. We belong to God and his purposes, but we're also surrounded by ideas, values, and practices that are in conflict with those of our homeland, of the kingdom of God. Now, exiles encounter some dangerous temptations when they're scattered in exile. Sometimes exiles are tempted to become like Babylon. We're tempted to compromise with Babylon's values and ideas and practices. After all, it's not easy being different. It's not easy living in exile. We want to fit in, and sometimes our desire to fit in tempts us to compromise the values and truth of our homeland, the kingdom of God. And we see this happening Today, as Christians compromise with our world's confusion about sexuality or its constant consumerism or driven by greed, compromise is a constant temptation for those scattered in exile. But you know, another temptation exiles encounter is the temptation to try to conquer Babylon. Since Babylon is so different from God's kingdom, God's people might be tempted to try to take over and to make Babylon more like their homeland. After all, if we make Babylon to be like the kingdom of God, we won't feel like exiles any longer. We'll be the ones in control of our culture and all of its institutions. But here's the catch. You can't conquer Babylon unless you play by Babylon's rules. In order to conquer Babylon, you have to be willing to make big moral compromises. Get your hands dirty and resort to violence. And this is why whenever God's people have tried to conquer their Babylon that they lived in, they end up becoming the mirror image of the very thing that they're fighting against. There's an old saying, maybe you've heard it, never wrestle with a pig because you'll both get muddy and the pig likes it. Any study of church history reveals example after example of how God's people have gotten muddy trying to take over their own Babylon. Just think about the Crusades of the Middle Ages or the witch trials of New England. I think about the 1930s when, when pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer was publicly speaking out against the, the, the nationalism that was infiltrating the church in Germany in the 30s for that very reason. Because until Jesus comes again, 
Babylon is always going to act like Babylon. And those who try to conquer it will find themselves being conquered by it. Compromise and conquering end up with the same result. God's people lost to Babylon. Who are we? We are God's elect exiles. We belong to God and his purposes, chosen by him, but we do not belong to this world as it currently exists. The second crucial question Peter grapples with is, where are we going? Exile is temporary. So where are we eventually going? And Peter's prayer of praise in verses 3 through 5 tells us. See, Jesus came from heaven in order to announce God's kingdom, to secure our salvation, and to bring us in to the covenant people of God. Yet Jesus also lived as an exile in his own Babylon, which for Jesus, his Babylon was the ancient Roman Empire and the religious institutions of first century Judaism. His own people rejected him. And his message conflicted with the powers that be, the institutions of his day. And that's why they all conspired to crucify Jesus. But Peter reminds us in this prayer of praise in verse 3 of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. I love what Reformed scholar Karen Jobes says about this verse. The resurrection of Jesus assures us that Jesus survived the worst thing this world could do to him. The Babylon of Rome and the Babylon of religious institutions tried to destroy Jesus and failed. These verses, verses 3 through 5, picture our lives as a lifespan that begins with birth and ends with an inheritance. We are born into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. And someday, in a day that's still in the future, we will receive an eternal inheritance because we've been born into this living hope. This eternal inheritance is so valuable, Peter says, that it will never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance includes living forever with Jesus in God's kingdom. Our sins completely forgiven, the injustices that we encounter in life are answered, our character transformed and perfected, our bodies raised from the dead, immortal. And God himself guards this promised inheritance in heaven where Babylon can never touch it. According to verse 5, we will receive this eternal inheritance at the last time when Jesus comes again at the end of history. Where are we going? We are headed to a future inheritance. To a future inheritance. This is where you are going if you trusted in Jesus. Trusting in Jesus is just the beginning. Being born into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the start of a journey, a lifelong journey that we travel with the rest of God's people toward an eternal inheritance. We will not be exiles forever. We're in a pilgrimage toward an inheritance that God himself keeps safe. If you've trusted in Jesus and become part of God's people, this is your future. This is where your life is headed. The third and final crucial question Peter answers 
is how do we get there? How do we go from being God's elect exiles who are scattered to heirs who receive this promised inheritance? How do we go from being scattered to being gathered, to being away from our homeland, to being welcomed into our homeland? This was surely the question that Peter's readers were asking. As we study 1 Peter, we're going to see that Peter's original readers that he was writing to were having a really hard time. They were being misunderstood and maligned by those around them. They were being persecuted and pushed to the margins. Some were slaves who had cruel and abusive masters. Others were trapped in abusive marriages with no way out. Yet instead of conforming to Babylon and instead of trying to conquer Babylon, in verse 6, Peter says that they're rejoicing, even though they're going through trials of various kinds. And in verse 7, we find our first reference to fire in 1 Peter. Just as the blacksmith forges metal in the fire, God uses the problems that we go through to prove the authenticity of our faith in Jesus. And this faith, as it's forged in the fire, will ultimately result in praise, honor, and glory when Jesus comes again at the end of history. How do we get to where we're going? We get to our promised inheritance by being forged in the furnace of suffering. Being forged in the furnace. The path from exile to inheritance is a path that includes pain. It was this way for Jesus. And it's this way for those who follow him as well. See, Peter does not promise us that following Jesus will solve all of our problems and make our lives easier. Instead, Peter assures us that following Jesus through our problems is worth it because of where it leads. So Peter Peter starts his letter by answering these crucial questions. Who are we? We are God's elect, exiles scattered in Babylon. Chosen by God, but not at home in this world as it currently exists. Where are we going? We are going to receive an eternal inheritance that God himself guarantees and keeps for us in a place that Babylon can never touch it. And how do we get there? By being forged in the fire. Living as God's elect as exiles is not easy. But it is possible to flourish as exiles in Babylon. When God sent Israel into their exile, centuries before Peter wrote this letter, there was a Hebrew prophet by the name of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah wrote a letter to the exiles who were scattered in Babylon. You can find that whole letter in the 29th chapter of the book of Jeremiah. But let me just read a couple of verses from Jeremiah's letter. Jeremiah says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, 
you too will prosper. And then there's that verse from this chapter that we all like to put on our license plate frames. Jeremiah 29, 11, written to exiles like you and me. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. That is God's promise when exiles are faithful, living as exiles. You know, one reason we gather together to worship each Sunday is to be reminded of who we are, where we're going, and how we get there. Because if we forget who we are, we risk getting swallowed by Babylon. And if we lose sight of where we're going, we lose our hope. And if we forget how we get there, our faith begins to falter. You know, it is no secret that church attendance in America has been in steep decline for quite some time. U.S. worship attendance has been dropping since the 1960s, but this decline reached an inflection point last year. According to the Gallup organization, last year, for the very first time in American history, the very first time less than half of the U.S. population were members of a church. And because of this trend, we talk a lot about reaching younger generations, and we should. I was so encouraged by Kylie, listening to Kylie's message last Sunday. But what we're not talking about a lot right now is that the fact that it's actually the baby boomer generation, people who are right now between about 60 and 80 years old, who've been dropping out of worship attendance in church faster than any other group. According to the Barna organization, from 2009 to 2020, the percentage of baby boomers who regularly attend church dropped by more than 30%, the largest decline of any of the age groups that they measured. And this trend accelerated during and after the COVID epidemic. Now, these aren't just people changing churches. These are people between 60 and 80 years old who are abandoning worship in a church. A huge percentage of older adults are being swallowed by Babylon. And as we look around at how Christians are navigating their experience as exiles, we find a lot of compromise. We find a lot who are just giving in to our culture's confusion and values and ideas. And you'll also find some Christians who are trying to take over, trying to conquer Babylon, fighting against Babylon, using Babylon's rules, and becoming like Babylon as they do. The church in America is kind of a mess right now, with compromise at one extreme and conquering at the other. And so on this Pentecost Sunday, when we remember that we have the gift of the Holy Spirit, to lead and empower us. And on this, for me, the, my anniversary of my ordination, I want to remind us of who we are. We are God's people, chosen and beloved by God, who belong to God and his purposes. But we are also exiles who are scattered. Our Babylon may be beautiful and affluent with lots of liberties and a 401k retirement plan, but that only makes it all the more alluring sometimes. To remind us that our eternal inheritance is worth far more than anything Babylon can offer us.
to warn us that exchanging our inheritance for the promises of Babylon is like Esau selling his family birthright for a bowl of soup when he was hungry. To remind us that when life is hard, when problems come, and they will come, that God is forging us in the furnace of his love to prepare us for a future inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade, kept safe in heaven just for you and me. This is who we are. This is where we're going. And this is how we'll get there. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these opening lines of 1 Peter. And Lord, we read these lines as your word, as your revelation, your communication, not just to them, but to us as well today. Father, help us never forget who we are, where we're going, and how to get there. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit who you sent on that first Pentecost Sunday to empower your people, to give them strength and clarity and boldness and courage to live as scattered exiles wherever you place them. Thank you that that same Spirit dwells among us and in us. May he lead us and guide us in the days ahead. For we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.